Welcome to Tent Talk, the podcast with Nancy McCrady, where we talk about life under the big tent of God's presence and the provoking process of discipleship. Here we go. All right, it's great to be here on Tent Talk Together. This is Nancy McCrady. These are readings from The Ultimate Intention by Deverne Fromke. Get a cup of coffee. Take a seat, my friends, at the Father's table and listen carefully. Whether you're driving in your car, you're relaxing at home, you're on vacation, wherever you may be, do not rush through these readings. Let them soak in. Let them take you to the scripture. And my friends, take on the viewpoint of the Father. The days ahead of great glory and great trouble are going to require those who are seeing everything from His point of view. I love you all. I pray these episodes will be very encouraging to you. All right, everybody. Hello from Amsterdam. I'm here in my hotel at the Amsterdam airport and have a couple of hours before I have to check out and then go over to the airport and get checked in, have a Zoom meeting with uh, the School of the Seventy Leaders here in Europe, and then wait for my flight to depart about 5 p.m. Central European time. And then I will take the 10 and a half hour flight and I will land in Houston, Texas. And then I get to go home. And so for this, I am very grateful and so glad. But I want to share with you today on this fresh episode of Readings from Ultimate Intention. And today I've chosen chapter 18. And its title is Joy, the Mark of Maturity. So without further explanation, here we go. And let me read chapter 18. Joy is the one thing most evident in those who have been caught by the heavenly way and purpose of life. They have learned to live in the strength and source of joy himself. As our Lord Jesus, the forerunner in the race, ran with joy, so we shall see. Paul and today's triumphant Christians experience joy in all three tenses, past, present, and future. We are called to joy. It is not optional, but imperative that everyone who runs to win should exhibit joy, the mark of maturity. In continuing our theme, running our race, let us turn our attention to the one who has already finished his course, because Jesus is the author, both the starter and the finisher. He is our confidence that we too can finish the race in him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and it is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews twelve two. I think I meant to read, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There are several phrases here which attract our attention. Let those who have considered the way of the cross as something impossible, let them look at Jesus. Look first at the joy that was set before him, and you will understand how he endured the cross. 
It was because he had his eyes not on the pathway, but on the goal. When the goal is important enough to us, any pathway becomes a secondary consideration. It was because he lived with his eye on the future, the glorious anticipation of the joy he might bring to his father and the fullness of joy which he might then share with his brethren, that Jesus endured the cross. I shall never forget the days in my life when with all my heart I sought to live the way of the cross. My death with Christ had become so real to me. I longed to embrace the working of death in order that life might flow out to others. But my zeal, without proper understanding, repulsed people instead of drawing them. One night after a service, I overheard some of my youthful friends whom I wanted so much to help. They were talking about me. What has happened to him? Once he was full of fun. Now all he keeps talking about is the cross and death. He's become a deadpan with no personality. I was stunned. Was this the impression I was giving? I went to my room and convinced myself that such was the lot of any who would dare to embrace the inwrought cross. And it was not until several months later that the Holy Spirit was able to show me another important distinction. I learned there is a great difference between the sentence of death and the spirit of death. I knew, indeed, that I was to reckon on identification with Christ in his death, and that now God had placed the sentence of death on all my members. But I came to see this did not mean I was to bear the spirit of death. This simple distinction wrought an emancipation in my spirit. I saw that once we have been raised with Christ from the tomb, the sentence of death remains upon the old, but must not touch the new life and spirit. We are to be under the control of the spirit of life and joy. How different it was to be free from the shadow of the old and to allow Christ to reflect himself through my personality. The believer in Christ has a past, but he is joyful because it is truly past. One thing so evident in those who have been liberated from their gnawing conscience and slavery to sin is that they dare to talk about the past. No one enjoys talking about bondage that is still present with him. There is no joy in holding out to the bitter end in order to be saved. Once we know the grace of God, we know the joy of sins forgiven. There are many passages which show that redemption gives us the privilege of being joyful. Quote, Let us enjoy the peace we have with God. Close quote. Romans 5.1 Some have peace with God, but have never entered into the enjoyment of it, for they are still straining and sweating while depending upon themselves. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to just stop and reread this. Okay. <laughs> this is so good. There is no joy in holding out to the bitter end in order to be saved. Once we know the grace of God, we know the joy of sins forgiven. There are many passages which show that redemption gives us the privilege of being joyful. Quote, Let us enjoy the peace we have with God. Close quote. Romans 5.1 Some have peace with God, but have never entered into the enjoyment of it. For they are still straining and sweating 
while depending upon themselves. Another passage reads, quote, We enjoy our redemption. Ephesians 1, 7. Both of those scriptures, by the way, are out of the Moffat translation. To be redeemed and not enjoy that redemption seems like a contradiction of terms. Again, quote, We both enjoy our access to the Father in one spirit. Close quote. Ephesians 2.18, Moffat translation. One who understood this said, quote, My greatest joy is in something beyond joy, but which includes joy, free access to the Father. We must be sure that we have distinguished true joy from its counterfeits. There is a happiness which initiates from happenings. This is not true joy. There is an exuberance which springs from the dynamic of the soulish powers. But this is not true joy. True joy has its source in God and flows through those who have learned the abiding union. In every life, there is a point at which the believer comes out of sighings and begins rejoicing. And if he doesn't, he is stopped short on the racetrack. I think you will discover the sighing state continues in those who have never been laid hold of by the perception of God's ultimate intention. When a believer doesn't see the future joy which is set before him, he finds no joy in the present in which to participate. This is not so much the sighing over sin or the need for personal victory as it is a sighing in the work, a deep inward sighing because the heart longs for a greater fruitfulness. This is a snare we must avoid. It should not be our work, but His. If it is our work, and we are getting satisfaction from the work itself, we have not learned that He is to become both the source and joy of our work. Paul could have sung the blues because only Timothy was really like-minded and living unto the furtherance of the gospel. Yet, even amid falling away, he was constantly rejoicing. He says, quote, I have learned to be independent of circumstances which might render what I know in my mind ineffective in my life. I have learned that my resources in him are sufficient and that my poise is undisturbable. Philippians four eleven and 12 from the Moffat Translation. It is no wonder that even from a prison cell, Paul can make joy the central theme of his letter. We can understand why Rendell Harris says, quote, Joy is the strength of the people of God. It is their chief characteristic. Close quote. If you allow the spirit of depression to settle, it saps strength even when nothing is done. How I have loved the lines penned by one in China. No one can doubt this missionary wife had been lifted up into God and her viewpoint synchronized with his. She moved and breathed in the eternal. Quote, Lord, I belong here at your side, singing your song, swinging your stride, joy surging with the strength of a tide. Since I've been running the race with thee, Every note is tuned to your major key. Life has become a grand symphony.
Close quote. Many do not even expect union with Christ to make them basically and fully joyful now. Such joy they believe to be reserved for the hereafter. But Paul writes to Timothy of God, quote, who richly provides us with all the joys of life. Close quote. 1 Timothy 6.17, Moffat Translation. Notice that he says, all the joys of life, now. You do not have to go outside Christ to presently participate in all the joys. It is these which he richly provides. For those who are not enjoying the present participation in his joy, we suggest that failure to anticipate the joy of the future is probably the reason. A little ten-year-old girl caught the true meaning of joy. Daddy, she said, I seem to have the most joy when I bring joy to you. Her joy had become a creative thing. Something enjoyable now, but also in anticipation. Joy is not sought. It seeks us when we are creative, outgoing, and living unto the ultimate. This joy of anticipation is of a particular kind. It is best represented in the Lord Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured. It was not the joy of what happened to him, but of what happened through him. It was joy which was creative in its nature. If we think of joy resulting from what happens to us, people giving us gifts or holding us in high esteem, then ours is not true joy, but something immature and precarious. Anything, including joy, is off-centered when it is egocentric. Such joy cannot abide. Since this is true, maturity depends upon our being objective instead of subjective, outgoing instead of self-relating. When John says, quote, and we are writing this, that your joy may be complete, close quote, he is speaking of the joy of realizing that God, through him, will unfold some of his purposes. It was not merely something he wanted to happen for him, but through him. This is the difference between passing happiness and abiding joy. When Paul writes, quote, even if my life is being poured as a libation upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I joy and rejoice. Close quote. It was because of what God was doing through him. And he adds, and I bid you also to joy and rejoice. How different is this from the testimony of those who plead for prayers that they may be faithful in running the race? The sad, morose type of person who complains about the troubles of being a Christian reveals that something is wrong within. He is filled with inner conflicts and wrong attitudes toward life. Joy comes as the result of inner harmony. When there is no civil war within, when everything is under a single control and directed toward a single purpose, then joy is a natural concomitant. You do not seek it. It is there inherently, and it is there permanently, for it does not come and go. The conditions that produce it are an integral part of life. We don't have joy. It has us. As I close the reading of that chapter, 
I am filled with joy. And my friends, I want each of you to know him. The spring of joy, that which springs forth out of his very nature inside of us is not because we try to have a positive attitude. It's not an emotion. Joy can touch your emotions. But everything in our abiding life in him and with him is ultimately for him. We are the beneficiaries of that which he has been willing to share with us, his very life, as it surges through us as we decide to live in abiding union. The very sap of his life flows from the vine into the branch. Lean in, my friends, and never settle. Never settle to only live out of the soul. Don't cater to your soul. But bring your soul, your mind, will, emotions under, under the government of the Spirit. As you bring yourself, the spirit man, into the government of the spirit. And when you yourself lean into him, everything that is of him, which you already possess, yet then now, Holy Spirit can make real in your experience. It's an experiential way of life. It's not having a little experience here and there. It's the experiential way of life. He causes life to spring forth. And it stirs very deeply within the spirit, in you, the new man. And then it flows, if you so choose to let it, it flows, it downloads, if you will, into the soul and into the body. And the soul truly is restored when we no longer let the soul Uh, dictate to us. My friends, your personality is in your soul, but you're not your personality. You are spirit. And the personality within the soul, as it becomes more fully developed as life flows through the soul, the personality becomes more fully orbed and fully developed and becomes the means by which the shared life of Christ that you and he have now finds expression through the uniqueness of who you are. But do not define yourself by your soul or your personality. You have been made one with him in spirit. 1 Corinthians six seventeen, And the joy that this speaks of is that the more that he is the center, he is your hub, he is your hive, as the old saints would say, He is everything to you. That's day in and day out. My friends, don't live uh, thrilled that you had one hour of deep devotion with him in the mornings, right? As though it's just some legalistic keeping of the quiet time. But ask Holy Spirit to cause you to be a flaming, abiding one, day in and day out, every minute of the day, sleeping, waking, sitting, walking, standing, running, right? Don't don't make that some fantasized, romanticized thing. Let it be in the ordinary drudgery of every day, as my friend Oswald Chambers would say. Hmm? Day in and day out. 
day in and day out, through every circumstance and every situation. It is something He produces inside of you. We can't produce that, but oh, we can participate in it. We can choose Him and allow Him to do in and for us what He always meant. But my friends, you are not the ultimate goal of all of that. He is. And when you have truly and are truly more and more coming to know Him, as it was with Jesus since you share in His life and characteristics, that it was for the joy that was set before Him that He endured, you're not required to like, be excited about anything that you're necessarily having to endure. But would you endure simply because there's a fellowship Right? As you endure, you don't run off. As you endure, you're with Him. I can't think of any other motivation to live this way. And that's why I love the line there in that chapter of joy, the mark of maturity, is that there's joy that springs forth from what is happening through us because He's living through us with our full permission, our full agreement. We are glad about it. Right? Because it's what he's always desired to have sons who would live in oneness with him, just like Jesus did. So I have said for many years that there will be joy, great joy, deep within us, deep within our homes that springs forth that is not based upon what is happening or not happening. Oh, my friends. I pray this has encouraged you today. I'm encouraged. As I'm about to get ready to go catch my flight home, I am encouraged and I can sense the deep abiding joy of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not an emotion that comes and goes. It's a knowing. So my closing word, because you can tell I could say quite a bit more. (laughs) My closing word is, my friends, when you live as who you are in the Spirit, You live by knowing more than feeling. Not against feelings, but my friends, oh, how much more excellent it is to live as we were meant to live by the deep, intimate, personal knowledge of Him. Knowing. Knowing Him. Knowing love. Knowing joy knowing I know so with my feelings come and go right that it's okay because there's a knowing that trumps that overrides if you will feelings I'm glad when feelings line up with the truth but because they can be fickle and come and go and there are days you can feel like nothing but that doesn't change anything in the spirit so live objectively not just subjectively so there you have it Love you all. Thanks for taking time to listen here on Tent Talk. Share it with your friends. Help us here at Nancy McCready Ministries to get the message out that life may come to his sons. They will be restored to the Father, and there will be a full expression of him and an extension of his authority in the earth. And he will have that which he has always desired through us on purpose, and we will count it our delight and joy to have had the privilege of being a part of the Father.
and his kingdom. So, love you all. Until next time. For more information on Nancy, please visit nancymccrady.com or follow her on social media at nbmccrady.com.